The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. My name is Timothy Saunders. I am one of your trio of co-hosts on this 81st edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from a rain-bruised Aegean skyscape in southwest Turkey. As the sun begins to dim the stars here, whichever time zone you are currently experiencing, hopefully you're relaxing into this show and are ready to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I will soon be joined by Kintia from her infamous Helm Station by San Francisco and Anessa Driscoll, who is also currently in the Bay Area. This show is entitled Consequences of Corruption. I plan to cut to the chase as we would like to make the most of our available airtime with our guests. In any case, this week has been fairly similar to previous weeks as the mainstream media prostitutes continue in their attempt to generate yet more fear porn in relation to the new South African variant, which has been described even by one of the original discoverers as not threatening. And to quote this doctor, she cannot understand what all the media hype is about. As I have no wish to serve as an echo chamber on this brand of bovine. The most saddening point of all of this is the media and brainless puppet leaders are desperately trying to leave additional vax boosters on the public as a means to protect them against the alleged new moronic variant. And yet, there is still no discernible scientific method to understand the difference between normal COVID-19 cases, Delta cases, and Omicron cases. What a shit show this is. What is more disturbing is how quickly selected weak-minded puppet leaders are once again twisting words and making U-turns with their professional promises with regards to mandating these experimental vaccinations. Is anyone really surprised? This is, after all, what they do best. It is most likely a prerequisite for their job. Germany seems hot on the heels of Austria. Some things never change. And other countries seem to be putting certain foundations in place such as in the UK, Sajid Javid, another lying criminal, has just announced that a further circa 115 million vaxes have been ordered. It seems a lot of poison for a country with a population of only 68 million, especially if we are to believe the latest 
and official VAX figures. This special new breed of mRNA modified people actually make up between 50 and 70% of the COVID patients in hospitals around the globe. So how can anyone believe additional VAX boosters are helpful or necessary? We have previously referenced Einstein's definition of insanity. The establishment seems hell-bent on pushing more of these same jabs that not only do not work, but also bring injury and death to more people than all the previous VAX recipients in all time. The logical answer is these vaxes are not the cause of these apparent variants, but of course they are. The UK has also announced the intent is to modify, just retask, or tune up the next barrage of experiment vial vials in the hope they may be able to protect victims from this latest variant. Does anyone still believe this? With tensions running higher than ever, and as levels of uh, tryptophan are retreating between Thanksgiving and the upcoming Christmas shot of Turkey, many people seem reluctant to question beyond their daily bubbles of perception. However, it may be smart to use some of this holiday time to reflect on where we are today in relation to previous years and where we would be if different more scientific strategies had been followed at the start of this pandemic. Many government advisors did offer far superior advice. However, however, very few countries such as Sweden, Belarus, Mexico, to name a few, were successful in resisting some of the corruption so easily now courses through the veins of the hidden hand, or what I prefer to term the minority, which in turn attempts to tyrannically control most other nations. Now for a short Christmas shopping tale. I'd like to commend the patience and professionalism of the store manager at my local IKEA. Other uh, self-assembly brands are also available. I was attempting to make a, a purchase today without wearing a mask as per usual. I walked through the first hall, which was filled with masked shoppers. I then passed the cafe, which was filled with unmasked customers dining on their infamous Swedish menu and finally made it to the checkout where I was apprehended by the manager. We enjoyed a very calm conversation where he informed me it is his job to ask me to wear a mask. I complimented on him doing his job thoroughly. However, I explained I will not be wearing a mask. He said I should. I informed him I do not believe there are any scientific grounds to warrant wearing a mask. He said it is IKEA's policy to tell shoppers to wear masks. I asked him if he knows where IKEA originates from. He said, yes, of course, from Sweden. Strange, I said. I went on to inform that mask wearing in Sweden is not a legal requisite. He said, but we're in Turkey, where people should wear masks. I asked if this rule is a law or a mandate. He would not use my exact words, despite his excellent English. However, he could not ultimately confirm this request to wear masks comes from an actual law. Ultimately, he said he must wear a mask, and so he is asking me to do likewise. I said, results from my extensive research shows mask wearing is not in any way beneficial and is most likely harmful. I added, I do not believe masks serve to stop transmission either. This, the manager agreed. He said, absolutely. So we agreed then, I suggested. 
I thanked him for carrying out his role and asked him if he prefers if I pay for the items I had selected or simply leave the building without purchasing them. He said he'd prefer I made the purchase. I thanked him for sharing his thoughts, paid for my chosen products and left the building unmasked. While it is a little banal to spell out this story, I just want to share how tired people are and how easy it is to demonstrate how they care more about following instructions than anything to do with health and safety. Why don't you try it? You may find it easier than you think. You could take a, a like-minded friend along, even make a game out of it. However, I suggest you do so as soon as possible, as the more pushback we can generate now, the more effectively we can show discontent and bring awareness and ultimately reprogram those who are still in a state of mass psychosis, all with a view to restore balance to humanity. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofthenews.com. They will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last week, we have been dumped on by another load of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news to discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context, but all too easily fill up the entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our special guest, Dr. Paul Alexander. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. How are your holiday shopping trips these days? <laughs> well, they're always maskless. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm happy to hear. I'll tell you a very short story. I went, I'm a tool freak and I went to Harbor Freight and, uh, and I always have a good time over there because I'm usually the only female in the store. So I, I went in and didn't have a mask. No one said anything to me. So I'm walking around the aisles and I'm smiling broadly and widely at everyone because they're all masked up. And, but, and I kept going up and down the aisles, just checking people out. I wasn't, I just to see what they would do. And uh, by the time I left the store, I have to say that I, knew, I noticed at least five people had removed their masks, the two people standing in back of me, and the cashier did not say a word. So I counted that as a win. So there we go. That's my story. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, count on Annetta to be the rebel. <laughs> I, I've had some similar uh, events here as well. But, you know, we have this amazing guest tonight, so I am anxious to get to him because it's a great honor to introduce Dr. Paul Elias Alexander, Ph.D. He is a former COVID pandemic evidence synthesis advisor to the WHO, Pan American Health Organization in Washington, D.C., and a former senior advisor to COVID pandemic policy in the U.S. government health and human services in Washington, D.C. Prior to that, he was appointed and worked at the WHO's Denmark office as a regional specialist epidemiologist assigned to projects in Russia, Turkey, Ukraine, and Poland. 
Dr. Alexander's expertise is in teaching of epidemiology, evidence-based medicine, and research methodology. His website is drpaulalexander.com, and it's the first link on his items, and it's also in his bio, which is at the top of the page. And welcome to the other side of the news, Paul. Are you with us? Hi. Hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I am delighted that you've joined us tonight. And we just wanted to give you as much time as possible. One of the questions that I was wanting to ask you, you set up so beautifully when you sent me this article five minutes before the show. I have many friends on both sides of this question about how to handle the pandemic including family members that are on the other side of this line that's been drawn. It's dividing families. And always they come back to, well, show us the evidence. Where's the documentation? Because if you go to the CDC trying to look up the VAERS reports, it's so difficult that the average person wouldn't even know how to begin. You sent an article it says more than 400 studies on the failure of compulsory COVID interventions. Would you like to share a little with us about that? Sure. First of all, I'm very uh, privileged and grateful that um, Darlene put me, set me up to be able to speak with you guys and to be on this show. I did a quick little reading in the background to see who I'm talking to and um, what you guys do. And um, as you did rightly say in the beginning, can you hear me? Absolutely. Very well. Thank you. Okay. So as you said in the beginning, um, just germane to this topic, this discussion today is that um, my background education is in uh, evidence-based medicine and research methods out of the University of Toronto, graduate school there, then I went on to Oxford in evidence-based medicine, and then on to McMaster, my doctorate and postdoc in evidence-based medicine. I also did some quick certificate program at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore in biological warfare, weaponization of pathogen in 2001. Basically how you would take viruses, bacteria, etc., any type of pathogen and, and weaponize them, put them on a missile, to use them for nefarious means. And I wanted to learn as an epidemiologist in case my city or my country, just to understand how it works and if that can be done. So anyway, I have that background and um, I was working at the WHO, Pan American Health mid 2019, helping them on a um, project that I was running on developing training for low- and middle-income countries on just basic research and epidemiology and stuff to help their scientists, train their scientists. And then we started to get these cases out of Italy in January, February. These these images on the television of people dropping dead and uh, in China, and uh, which we know the images coming out of China were fake. I mean, look, I'm a very blunt person, and it's 10-something at night, so I'm kind of close to my bedtime. So I'm speaking to you honestly as a scientist, but openly. 
Those images out of China were fake. Those were those were bogus. And that was meant that was part of this game to scare the, the world. And I'll get to what I mean by that. But at that time, WHO asked me to change my position and to become a pandemic advisor to them because they were the global agency and they didn't know what was going on. And uh, because of my training in evidence-based medicine and uh, research methods in clinical epidemiology, they wanted me to help them understand what was coming out of China and Italy. So I actually was connected to WHO and PAHO in the beginning of the COVID outbreak. And a lot of their messaging was from me in terms of trying to understand and deliver to the world initial statements on COVID, as no one understood. Around April, May, mid-April or so, beginning of April, I, I can't recall exactly, but around then, I got tapped, got a call. Um, I was in Toronto at that time by, on the U.S. side, who was connected in the U.S. government. Um, telling me that um, there was a request from the U.S. administration, White House, um, if I were interested to join, come to the exact words then was to come to the table to provide the Trump administration technical support task force behind the scenes, and I would work out of Health and Human Services on Independence Avenue, which is just obliquely opposite the Capitol building and just down the street from the Senate and and I, and I guess you, you know why I'm talking about, like the White House. Right. So I was actually working directly. And um, so I went to DC and I took up that position. It was a, it was a horrendous situation from all points of view. I, I, I've kind of given tidbits here and there to different interviewers. And that. in time, I was, I've been in a position where I could speak more formally because, you know, there are a lot of things I can still cannot speak about because and rightly so, because, you know, a lot of things are sensitive to the government and things that I can't speak about. And uh, the most important thing, though, is I just wanted to, um, to re-give that interview, to, 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 to recap what you said with a little more um, meat. But, yes, I, um, I was one of those persons in the administration who, when um, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birch wrongfully wrongfully, devastatingly confused President Trump and misled him into locking his society down. That was a catastrophic mistake that he made. That was blunder one. And I don't blame him. I never blame him. Look, I took that position with President Trump because I supported President Trump. I mean, outside of me as from a scientist's point of view, I thought he would have gone down as one of the greatest presidents in the United States all things considered, and what I saw he did and was doing. I thought January 29, 2020, he was unstoppable. I mean, I knew a lot of things from behind the scenes, from exposure to certain things, and he did so many things for the country, very, very tremendously great things, that the media would never even report it. And I thought that it was a privilege and an honor to work for him and his administration. But when I got there and I saw the clowns, and I, I told you again, I speak how I how I look at it. You don't need to censor yourself here. We're really <laughs> open for free speech. Go for it. When I found the clowns in uh, Fauci and Burks and Khan and Redfield and stuff, 
I was amazed at um, what they were doing behind the scenes in terms of subverting him and undercutting him. You see, the nation saw those days, there were times it was like a clunker, where you would see on the podium literally fighting with the task force, particularly by around mid-2020, and it was looking like a joke, but actually it was very serious. They were using the stage to undercut him in front of the nation. And you see, the thing is, I felt sorry for him because he's not a scientist. Very smart guy, business and finance and, and stuff. One of the best people in terms of love country, love his flag, love his people, wanted to do the best and did. But for some reason, he ended up surrounded by deviants who were damaging his presidency. And I think we're going to have a lot of opportunity in time, in time with history and investigations as to the exact role of the Wuhan lab and whether it's intentional or direct leak and who did what in the United States government to, to play a role in this, who funded what. I hope many people go to jail in the United States government, whoever did wrong. In time, we will know all of that. But the point is that he, he depended on these people as experts to support him and advise him, and they advised him wrong. The locking down of society was a catastrophic mistake. It will go down as the first greatest public health disaster ever, because there are two, and actually he wears both. That's one. As I said before, to me, he had a shot at Mount Rushmore, January 2020. And I think he still does, depending on what he does next. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The lockdowns were causing tremendous deaths in America. We were seeing deaths in business owners, in employees, and children being rolled up from the state, coming up. And President Trump knew. He saw the media would not report it because when he was fighting and he was coming out with those statements, begging the states on the television, please open, open schools, fighting with the unions, fighting with the CDC. That was real. And they were fighting against him. I was part of that fight behind the scenes. I got ensnared in that fight. Their role was to come out against anything he said. So if on a weekly basis, if a particular week he was calling for the opening of schools, they would come out on the podium every day and call for schools remaining closed. They would get CDC to write reports to say that keeping schools closed was beneficial. When we were seeing the data, where children in America were committing suicide. We had the actual data, but the news, the media, the legacy media, corrupted, putrid media would not report it because it would make the, the population would have known Trump is right for calling for the schools to be reopened. The schools were the safest place for children. The schools were and still are. Still are. And it is the safest place for a teacher. This unholy alliance between the CDC and teachers' unions is... is Devastating. It's terrible, especially in places like California, etc. Look, we had the evidence one month out after the lockdowns. I'm talking about April, end of April, that the lockdowns were a catastrophic failure and were causing death, the actual lockdowns. We had evidence that the school closure was causing children to commit suicide. We had evidence that none of the mass mandates were working. In fact, everywhere you implemented a mask mandate, the infection skyrocketed. 
We were doing studies that showed that the mass, the blue mass, the white cloth mass were junk. They were always junk and they're junk today. They don't stop nothing. They don't stop you from getting any virus. They don't stop you from spreading virus. They're ineffective and actually they're toxic and harmful. So people like me behind the scenes, we took a very, very, took a lot of beating from the press and hammering because we were calling for a balanced age risk stratified approach. And the approach that I was saying, and, and I know Dr. Atlas, he came around August. Very, very, very good man. He actually, had it not been for him directly in the White House at that point, I think the country might have been in a worse shape. He actually helped a little bit there in the end. But, but the damage had already been done by Fauci and Burks. It was Fauci and Burks' lockdowns that harmed America, killed people. Many people died in America because of their lockdowns. It was Fauci refusal to admit and to recognize the potency of early outpatient treatment. But the groups I work with now, like Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Peter McCullough, et cetera, we champion early treatment and we have, you know, the treatment plans and stuff where you treat the infected high-risk person early, prevents hospitalization and death. Fauci and they damaged us in that regard. They will refuse to recognize the antivirals. <clears throat> we have estimates now of the 750,000 Americans, quote-unquote, who may have died from COVID. About 700,000 will be alive today, 90%. Oh and that's our mass when we look at the data. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans died because of the NIH and the CDC refusal to allow doctors to prescribe early outpatient treatment. I have many, I know many doctors, many of them across America, right now fighting their state boards and stuff for their licenses. Their licenses have been stopped or pulled. They threatened with being fired because they prescribed early treatment that was helping their patients. So I'll put it to you this way. <clears throat> that op-ed that I just shared was published this week by Brownstone Institute. I'm a scholar at Brownstone. I write for them, but I have many um, op-eds written there at AIER, at LifeSite, at Epoch, trial site. So I'm writing everywhere. But because we can't get, we have, we have peer-reviewed high-level medical papers that me and Dr. Rich, Dr. McCullough, we've written, and the journals won't take them. We are writing high-level scientific papers and publishing them as op-eds. Like that one I shared, I think I shared about four. That one, what I did was I decided now with this Omicron fake BS variant scare they're coming with now. Because Omicron is not our problem. We still have a problem with this Delta variant. This Omicron is, from all the data I have seen and all the data out there, Anyone who has tested positive for this and who have had any sort of symptomatology, it's been absent symptoms of very mild, in fact, milder than, than Delta. So this is just an, an, an opportunity to scare and push people to vaccine and they're coming at the kids. But the point I'm making to you is this. Um, when I saw what they were doing with this Omicron at the end of last week, I decided, let me pull together, well, I started writing this about a month ago. Let me finish it, a paper where I synthesize, synthesize all of the evidence on lockdowns, on, on school closures, on masks, on uh, shelter in place, on mask mandates, everything. So it's about 403 studies and uh, evidence pieces, you could say, 
high-level comparative effectiveness research. But let me say it this way. I, and yes, I had some researchers working with me because I feel some people little tidbits here and there to help me because sometimes the volume of work. But in nowhere in the United States and across the entire world, nowhere for the last two years since the beginning of this fraudulent pandemic has any lockdown worked? Not one. We found no evidence of any lockdown working, any school closure in reducing transmission of death, any mask mandate or any shelter in place or masks. None. Not one piece of science. Zero. Nowhere. And I pulled it together in one place for scientists and for lawyers and whomever because a lot of lawyers get in contact with me because they want to go into the courtroom and they're waiting, they're lining up to start suing. A lot of lawyers right now approach me about these mass mandates. They're, they're representing groups of uh, police, some military groups, a lot of news groups. And they kept writing me to say, Paul, you know, what science is out there to show that they, that they, 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 they vaccine mandate is garbage and, 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 and is not right? And I said, well, yeah, well, there is science published that shows the difference between a vaccinated and an unvaccinated person in terms of viral load is the same. In fact, the vaccinated is harboring higher virus and, and is the one spreading the virus. It's not the unvaccinated. It's a vaccine. This is a pandemic of the vaccinated. So I kept getting so many requests. I decided to pull it all together in one paper. And I wrote this offer. It's about 32, 32 papers, scientific papers, high quality, all of them that exist today. And uh, you see, you don't know about them. And the general public doesn't because the media won't report it. Mm-hmm. Fauci and the CDC pretend these papers don't exist, but they do. Scientific groups across the world still publish their stuff in junk journals, but if you look, you'll find them. And when I assess the quality, these are high quality, very, very strong research. And the research overall shows that the vaccine has failed, catastrophically failed against the Delta. In fact, if you took the vaccine today, you're basically taking nothing because the Pfizer vaccine loses antibodies 40% a month. So in three months, you have zip. So, so that is why now, because you see the CDC and they know that all of those people who were vaccinated seven, eight months ago have no immunity from vaccine. Now, those people could have gotten naturally infected across time and didn't even know it. They don't need a vaccine. But it pushes to get everybody vaccinated and now they're coming at our children. So, so the, the evidence is clear that the vaccinated person, these vaccines are causing, because, because the vaccines are non-sterilized, meaning they do not sterilize the virus. They do not stop infection. They do not stop transmission. So that means that if you took the vaccine, you are taking a suboptimal vaccine. It means that your immune response is suboptimal, is hobbled. And that that opens the door at a mass population level for the virus to react to that suboptimal immunity. It's not sterilizing, complete neutralizing immunity where you, where you effectively kill the virus. Because it's, it's a hobbled poke of the virus, the virus responds. We underestimate the evolutionary capacity of the virus in this mass vaccination program, we've under, 
we have disregarded the capacity of the virus to respond to this suboptimal vaccine. And in that regard, the virus is responding by natural selection. It is selecting the variants that could overcome that suboptimal broken immune pressure. Because remember, you put in pressure on the virus. We, we told these idiots, these vaccine developers, I was one of them that told them, you never, ever, 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 ever implement a vaccine program during an epidemic or pandemic, ever. Anybody who knows basic immunology and virology and vaccinology knows this. Why they did this, I don't understand. But I kind of understand because I think they were going to hang this on Trump if he came in the second term. This pretends that this vaccine is working. And let's just get another booster with the media, how they're doing this. It would have never been so if Trump was on death. Each death from the vaccine, they would have hanged him already with this. Because the vaccine is causing death. The vaccine has failed. If your neighbor tells you tomorrow going for a vaccine, you should be able to tell them, listen, you're basically taking a sugar pill because it doesn't work. And people not understanding that the content of the vaccine was based on the initial Wuhan strain of 2020, January, February, March. That is long gone, 15 months now. What we have on deck is Delta. So the vaccine cannot work, zero. Anyone taking a vaccine right now is getting nothing. It, 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 it will fail. And, and, and they've set it up now where the CDC is not telling you on the NIH pouch and they're not telling you in your face, listen, this vaccine is junk. So we're going to have to keep boosting you every three to four months. That's where we are now. Egypt, I mean, Israel is now prepping for the fourth booster. So you are trying to tell me that the second shot that has failed, you want to vaccinate me with the third shot of the same content of the second shot that failed. You're telling me I have to hurry up and take that third booster. You're even telling me that this new Omicron fake variant because of that, I have to take the third booster. Well, I should. Yet, that same third booster is made up of what failed for the second and third shot. So does that make any sense to you? No. Of course, that's not science. It's just garbage. And this is where I, I fault President Trump. Because you see, when I look at the science, and I could, I could put, produce a paper showing you 400 studies showing lockdowns, fails, school crews, everything. President Trump, after a week of this crap, he should have fired Fauci and Burks. Fire them and take away their pension for what they did. They misled this guy into the greatest public health disaster, that this lockdown, this school closure. Listen, the stories, the things I can't talk about, of little children in America, what they did. Children, children suffered. People didn't understand that American children, millions of them used to go to school for a whole year with no food. No food. People didn't understand that in America, most, many children only eat. Even affluent kids, just the way their lifestyle was, they didn't eat breakfast, they were out the door before breakfast. Never had time for dinner, only ate in the school. school. They were on the school feeding program in some capacity. When you close schools, millions of children used to go without food. And parents were, it's such a difficult thing to come and tell people, look, we, we have no food. People, 
the lead class, the affluent class, the, the, the pokey pinky up in the air finger while they're holding your cup of coffee class, didn't think about the little children. They didn't think about the poor marginalized children. They didn't think about poor women in America who were the front-facing employees who had to go and work while the management of the elite class could have stayed home and remote work and walk the dogs and, and catch up on the reading of books and even vacate and do whatever. They didn't think of that. They suffered people and people died because of the lockdown. President Trump, in my view, I say it bluntly, to me, was the greatest president of America had in my lifetime, and I think probably in the last six to ten for sure. I think a good argument to be made, he might have been better than Lincoln, or as good. I mean, he, he didn't have a situation like slavery and civil war that he was dealing with, but he might have stumbled upon something as great. This pandemic would have been that had he done it well. What he was doing was tremendous. I don't think there's anyone who could fault him. I fault him greatly for failing to fire those people. He let them get out of hand and he let the pandemic get out of hand. And I don't think he really understood that a lot of his real strong supporters somewhere along the line were a little dismayed because their lives were being affected. And that op-ed was to show that the science is clear. Every single thing that we were subjected to as society for the last two years failed. And if you try to lock down again, if you close schools, you are doing something that fails, cannot work. And now I bring it forward to the vaccine. The vaccines are the second greatest public health disaster in history. And I can't understand what has happened here. President Trump is not a scientist. I think, I, I know that he wanted to help. I do. I know he wanted to fix things, but they damaged him because they misled him. There is no way you could take a 12 to 15 year vaccine development program and bring it in three months and, and tell me you didn't cut corners. Of course you cut corners. Of course Pfizer and Moderna and J&J and all these people cut corners. This is a money-making thing for them. Trump paid them up front hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. That was wrong. They had no risk. And they brought a vaccine in three months that has failed. And why am I saying it this way? Because we know of the adverse events in the CDC bear database. We know of the deaths. We know of the myocarditis, the pericarditis. We know of the Epstein-Barr. We know of the, the, the cerebral blood clots. We know of the bleeding. We know of everything. And then knowing that, knowing that, these people must understand that had you run the trials for longer than three months, we'd have been able to see these things that we're seeing now. We'd have been able to see that after six months, the vaccine was failing. They did not run their trials for longer than three months. Why? They knew that the vaccine would have failed in a trial if they did. So they, they stopped it at three to four months and published that. And if they gave them emergency use, Yes, he is a criminal in this affair. I don't know who is worse, Han or Woodcock. I, I, I'm, I'm a little confused now because I really like Dr. Han. I know him personally from there, from work. But when I saw he got a position at Moderna, it shocked me. 
I mean, where else is a bigger conflict of interest than that? You are regulating Moderna this year, and then as soon as the administration changes, you take up a position with Moderna, senior position. That's a clear violation of conflict of interest. Dr. Han should be ashamed. He should hide his head in shame. So we have a vaccine that's failed. And the problem I have right now is, again, you couldn't be a stronger supporter of Trump than me. And I'll be blunt, though. If Obama had asked me in his administration, hell if Biden administration, actually, I had communications from them in the beginning, from FDA, would I, you know, about sending me, my, giving them my resume, interested in me coming on shop and stuff. That didn't materialize. But if I had to get a clear offer, I would have helped them. This is not about politics for me, somebody like me. This is about helping America, helping American people, helping the world, Canadian people, people of this world, children. President Trump must know. He must know that the vaccine is a catastrophic failure. He cannot come on the news as he does now and tout the speed at which he bought it. He can't do that and tout he bought these vaccines and take credit. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's, he's, he's surrounded by people that, that he can't get the news. I don't believe that. He's such a smart guy. And I know one of the greatest people. So something is not adding up here. And, and I'm telling you this. I am involved with the COVID-19 with the United States at the highest level. I work with the top scientists in the world over this. Similar in Canada, etc. A lot of these people are his best supporters. They will, they will do anything for Trump. I will do anything for Trump. But he's bleeding support now because we don't understand why he's not coming out and declaring purposefully and strongly that the vaccine are dangerous for children. And under no condition, under no condition must children get these vaccines. Zero. Children bring near zero risk to the table. Zero. You look at Germany. Five million years old, no death. We look at Sweden, no death. Oh, the, the deaths that the CDC says happened in the United States in some children, Dr. Martin McCarrell to Johns Hopkins questioning the death because he said his look at the data suggested these children were unwell children. These are not healthy children. Many of them morbidly obese. Obesity emerged as a superloaded risk factor in this condition in COVID. Like it does for illnesses too. So, so, so we know that children are not candidates for these vaccines. President Trump has to come out and say it and get on the podium and fight to make sure that we don't vaccinate children. And I'm seeing reports today already that some children in different parts of the United States, some reports are beginning to say that might have died already. Young children, six, seven, eight years old. I don't know. I mean, we're studying the data right now. So right now we are waiting on President Trump to come forward and say, stop it. We want a hard stop, a hard stop on this vaccine program across the board. From the data I have seen, I cannot support these vaccines. Before I would say, you know what, no vaccine. And then I said, you know what, if an elderly person, high risk, you make your own informed decision, properly well consented, and somebody explained to you the benefits and harms, this is America, it's a free society. If you make the decision to take it, that's your decision. But 
And I would say, well, you know, person semi five and above, maybe that group. No one else. Semi five and below, don't touch them with this vaccine. They have early treatment, et cetera, et cetera. Vitamin D supplements, you know, you get your body weight under control. But no, I can't recommend it. Well, I'm not anybody, I'm not your doctor to say I'm recommending this for you, but I'm saying personally as a broad statement, I, I have no confidence in the vaccines across the board in total for nobody. And again, definitely not for children. So I cannot understand why President Trump is not waging this battle with us because the CDC's various database shows tens of thousands of Americans who have taken this vaccine have died one to two to five days post-vaccine. And this is not a joke. This is serious. One million of them have had adverse events. We've had many, many, many instances of myocarditis in teen boys. A lot of blood clots in, 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 in females. So, so we know there's a problem. And people are covering it up and pretending. But we, we can't. And I am not that type of person that because I love President Trump and I support him so much, I can't also talk about the things where I think there's something wrong. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know in terms of what is interviewed tonight. I'm just talking to you the way I see it. I mean, these vaccines must be stopped. There Dr. is no Paul? benefit. Yeah, this is Annetta. Hey, I, I wanted to jump in here because... Uh... We've been doing this show for quite some time. We're on the, the 81st show right now. And, and uh, you know, we have some, some ideas around this as to what's going on. Um, and it goes well beyond Trump in the way I see it. And I think uh, a lot of our listeners. Yes. And uh, so, yes. I mean, I think, I think part of it um, is well beyond the, that, that realm of control. And there may be things going on behind the scenes that we can't even begin to understand. I'm sure there are, yeah. but not maybe. There definitely are. And you've kind of been behind that curtain. But um, when we when we talk about this, it's it's clear that there's you know these are very very uh, lethal. I call them the lethal jabs. Um, these you know we know from the data, uh, actually, uh, we had a 62% increase in um, deaths from uh, 12 to 18 year olds for the running death average for a five-year uh, five-year average went up 62% the, the first two months of the, uh, the jab being issued to that age group. So we absolutely know, and that was only the tip of the iceberg, as we know from other data, uh, like in Australia, I had one that I had printed a while ago. I'd, I'd have to look it up again, but it started out with uh, myocarditis and when they started administering the uh, jabs and uh, they had nine, nine people in one month. And then the next month they had 46 and da, 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 da. And by the time November came, uh, they had 45 in the first day of November. And that's when that count had stopped. I remember that, uh, but it was in the hundreds every month. So in other words, every month it was, it was the uh, compounding of the, the effect of this, these jabs. And um, I also wanted to talk a little bit, um, and maybe you could clarify this. It is my understanding that the jabs are, there's the first jab and the second jab. And then the, what they're calling the booster is the same thing, although we're not really clear on that since they, it is, it is, it is far 
even if they don't release what's in it. Um, we, you know, got a researcher around that and found out a lot of it. It's all toxic. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't, they don't even tell you what the, the booster is. So this is really, at this point, you know, the psychological warfare. And do you think that maybe what we're seeing here is a separation of, of this? Like, are people being separated out? In other words, are there the yeah. ones that have, have just been completely so, they're so, so far gone that there's no recovery? There's some people that are being recovered. Uh, there's some people that have vaccine remorse. There's, there's some of us like, like me who absolutely jump up and down and have never even considered the idea. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm at the one end. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, do you think that there's maybe something else going on with this? Besides, I know that there's the evil Fauci, and we know that this is not his first rodeo, okay? I mean, anyone who's ever looked into him knows that this, he's well-practiced at, at his genocide missions. Um, but but and when we go back to the political thing and we, we look at Event 201 and we look at all of the things that set up and how they, they let our, their plans be known, I mean, where do you see this? this working in with what you saw behind the curtain at the White House. Do you, do you have an insight on that? Well, um, look, look, first of all, thanks, thanks very much for that, um, for, for the, for the um, sharing just now. Look, um, I, I am one of those people like you, jump up and down, that under no condition, me, nor my family, blah, blah, blah. And that, that was in my mind from the beginning. Now, because the question is, always, they have brought something that we don't need, that we never needed for this situation. And that's the key here. And um, it is clear from what I was seeing behind the scenes was that because, I mean, without getting too much into stuff, <clears throat> the office that I worked in at Health and Human Services under the A secretary and, and also the Secretary is basically of health and human services. So CDC, FDA, all of those agencies reported into health and human services. So we were kind of like the head agency on the sixth on the sixth floor of health and human services building. So basically everything ran through there. And the people that I worked with, we were involved, they were involved largely with all of the communications and all of the policy that was coming out of the White House. And it was clear to me from sitting in various meetings and the persons who were there, including task force, got to those people on a near daily basis, like Dr. Hans, Dr. Redfield, they all would come to the building for meetings and we would meet elsewhere. But the point is that it was clear to me that they were making, what they were doing was, they were making the country ungovernable for Trump. In other words, the game was to make it unmanageable on a day-to-day -day basis. And those were the kind of things that were shared with me by people. Because I think many people like my accent and uh, who's this scientist guy up in here. So, you know, we'd sit on the lunchroom on an odd day and they would talk and uh, listen to what they were saying. Many of them were Trump supporters. Many of them actually weren't Trump supporters. And they actually worked in his administration. So, you know, people would talk and say things. And from my point of view, on a day-to-day -day basis with the bureaucracy of Washington, their game was to, was to give the nation 
and understanding that Trump had no control of the pandemic and that the nation had become ungovernable and unmanageable under him. So that is why every day they would have these running numbers of increasing infections, mm-hmm. etc., and spooking the, the public daily and spooking Trump. Trump was spooked by this. That's why he went along with the lockdown. Really? Okay. Well, because I mean, when when Biden came in, and obviously, I mean, the clusterfuck has gotten much larger now. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really out of control. Out of control. But and it's truly out of control. But, you know, I mean, I look at the, the I don't watch mainstream media. I've never owned a television. But I know from uh, the stuff that I have on my, my Telegram channel, I have a lot of news. And I know that they aren't reporting for the example, the daily, the daily counts, which are based on the completely bogus and uh, false positive PCR. And I'm not even going to call it the, the, the a T thing because it's not that. But uh you know, with all of that going on, okay, I hear what you're saying, but then what's going on now? Because it's been, we've had 10 months of, of the uh, pretendency and, mm-hmm. you know, we've got, we've got this real cluster going on. And, um, and I, you know, we got someone like, um, you know, that, that ass over there, Boris Johnson, who's, who comes right out in public and, you know, he's, he's saying, Hey, you know, this thing doesn't work, <laughs> but you need to take it anyway. And uh, you need to keep taking it. And I mean, they're just getting blatantly, uh, it's, it's so obvious what's going on. So um, what do we what do we say or do? Because clearly if there was a political agenda, and I'm not saying that there wasn't a political, there's all kinds of political agendas, right? I'm not even denying that. But the thing is, is the, the, the uh, climate changed, okay? And not climate, that's a bad, that's a bad choice of words. But you know, the, the political terrain changed. And yet we still have this problem going on. So do the people just that ha- that got their little bits of power, uh, are, the, are the minions just keep keeping this thing going just because they can? And we know that there's tons of money. There's still being all kinds of money pumped in for every everything that they do. Every time they uh, have a mandate, every time, every time they uh, have a death, um, a death certificate or they get someone on a ventilator, we know that this is all being paid for by the CARES Act. Uh, and you can trace the money. So in, in the larger picture, what do you think is happening here and what can be done or what do you see is happening that will, will be coming up? Well, look, exactly how you explained is what is happening now. I mean, we went from a devastating situation to a completely catastrophic, near-ending situation with, under the Biden administration because it is clear they don't know what the hell they, they, they're doing. I don't think he knows where he is, and I don't. And he's not running the country now. What is interesting is this: when Obama had the H1N1 2009 um, situation, it's the same cast of characters now who are running the Biden administration were the ones who were running Obama's response to H1N1. And if you go back to H1N1 in 2009, it was a devastating failure. In fact, it was so much of a failure that a couple of months in, so let's say similar to when Trump was dealt this in February of 2020, by around May of 2020, two to three months, everything was stopped. That's what Obama did in 2009. Three months out, they commanded the CDC to stop, no podiums, no more 
coming out telling you what's going on, like how Trump was doing. No reporting of infections, no reporting of hospitalizations, no cases, nothing. Zero. All reporting stopped. It was as though it went away, but it didn't go away. But that's what it did. That's how they managed it. And they're doing that with this now in the Biden administration. You have no czar, you have no task force out there every day like Trump. So I don't think Trump really understood how much they played him with how it was managed from a public um, a public relations point of view. They, they, they played it out in the open. And they wouldn't do the same in Biden from day one. So that's number one. Number two, working with the CDC, and they, you can see that they've manipulated a lot of things to their advantage, such as things like... Um, you know, like right now, they want to change the definition of what fully vaccinated means. They've changed the cycle from threshold from 45, so they don't come to break down to 28. All kinds of, of things that they, that they have done to try and minimize what is happening. And the reality about it is that um, there is something nefarious here. I, I can't... I can't put my finger fully on it. I know there are bad people involved, bad people who hate America and try, try and have tried to harm America from, for decades now. And I think President Trump was probably the closest we could have gotten, and we thought we got to, to fix all of this. And I, and, I, and, and I do think, and I do think that with another shot on death, if he could get there, he probably can, but he has to wipe his slate clean of the complete cast of characters he had in his first rounds. All of them failed him. He need to bring brand new people, proper scientists to the table, etc. But he just needs to stop it. To stop it. All this needs is to stop. Americans need to wake up one day with a proper leader to say, stop it. Take every mask and throw it in the garbage. Stop it all. Stop all testing. Zero. Go on with your life. Open everything. If anybody ever gets sick for anything like you did before, go to the hospital and get your care. We asked for two weeks to bend the curve for 22 months. So no hospital could say they're not prepared. They have enough PPE. And that's it. Go on. Don't, don't, don't even mention the word COVID. Make it a crime. Because, because this ended 15 months ago. All that we're going through now is garbage. This is just fake. Everything about this is fake now. Just fake. I know, and the only reason that we have anything going on is that they've all joined their new religion of, of the, you know, the Covidians, right? So, um, but you know, if we look at, like, for example, I noticed on November 28th, there, the CDC put out a little, a little chart, and they have all the counties in the United States, and they have their little, uh, you know, the count, and they have it by color, right? And the, the, the lowest number is, is blue, and the highest number is, so, you know, it goes to spec, so it's... Uh, you know, blue, green, yellow, orange, red, like that. And uh, so I noticed some interesting things about this. Uh, the Florida was basically, a, with the exception, I think, of two or three counties, was all blue, which was like basically there was nothing going on there. Right? They have no no mandates, no none of none of this rubbish, right? And uh, interestingly enough, and I'm in California, uh, you know, and I'm in a very very uh, bad area, I'm in the metropolitan area. And um, they, those are the red areas. Uh, but the rest of the state was actually surprisingly 
it was uh, green and yellow, which is pretty low down the scale. Here's the thing. Three days later, CDC reissues the map, and it's totally changed. They, they upped everything. So they're, again, generating the false numbers. You can catch them if you're looking, but if you're not looking and you're the average person, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a freak this way, but, you know, I, I look at all this stuff, and I can see them manipulating the numbers. I can see them changing the charts. I can see all this, and I, I you know, I, I check into VAERS faithfully every Friday when they update the numbers. I have looked. I know all this stuff. But for the average person, they're not seeing it. So they're actually believing it. And, you know, if we didn't have this fake uh, uh, PCR crap, we wouldn't have any numbers because this is a case stemic, well, a case of what? They can't tell the difference well, from the flu, the influenza, cold virus, and the supposed uh, non-isolated COVID virus. It's never been isolated on the entire planet. Amazing. And now they say they can, de they can detect a, uh, a derivative of it, or a, you know, you know that the, I call it the uh, you know the the moronic, right? Um, yeah. So how do you convince your average person all of all this? Because I understand what you're saying about the political. I, I think that I think that you're giving them entirely too much uh, lenience. By the way, I think that they know exactly what's going on, and that I mean, and only a moron couldn't figure this out at this point. The the narrative has uh, the holes in it larger than moon craters. If you, if you just look at any of it, yeah. I mean, even Boris Johnson sitting up there saying, oh, well, you can still transmit it. Then, the, oh. the, you know, the, the, the jabs don't protect you and they don't do anything, but still take them. I mean, come on. I'm like, hello. <laughs> no. So, the, what do you say? The, the, this is the way I'm looking at it, right? Huh? Um, I, I look at Democrats and Republicans as the same now. I call them the Uniparty. Yeah, the Uniparty. Yeah. Yes, and, and uh, you see the problem is everybody has made money in this from the vaccine developers all the way down, hospitals, everyone. And, and I think that in time, when we historically look back, we will see many Congress people and senators made money, directly and indirectly. But the problem in a place like America is we don't put these people in jail. We need to become like other countries, have proper investigations, and shock Americans one day. So they could see Congress people and senators and judges and stuff in handcuffs. We need to see people go to jail for what they've done here. This has been two years of terror and people killed themselves. Business owners committed suicide because of what the government did. People need to be held accountable. Many people lost children, killed themselves, hung. I'm gonna to say to you that you don't know Many children in America hung themselves. The media didn't tell you. We had the data coming up from different states. I can't say where. Hung themselves. We, we, actually, we actually were reporting on that early on about all the, the deaths, the collateral, or what we call them deaths of despair. Yeah. Uh, all the suicides, the drug overdoses, the, and, and in fact, the domestic yeah. violence, the domestic violence that went way yeah. up. People were killed from that. I mean, it was just dreadful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Little children. The school is the safest place for children because of physical abuse and sexual abuse is flagged for the first time in a school setting often. So by closing schools, many thousands, hundreds of thousands went unreported. Look, when this started, I understand. I too was concerned and I was a scientist involved in COVID. 
we didn't know exactly what was going on. We were getting these crazy news reports out of Lombardia and Italy and stuff. We didn't know everything was fake and made up even from the beginning. We just didn't know. So I understand people were scared. But we had five or six things that, five or six actions that were taken by the government under Fauci and Burks. Under Fauci and Burks, this is Fauci and Burks' disaster. This, what we're facing, what the world has faced, because the world followed America. They first out of the gate when they told Americans that everybody's at equal risk of severe outcomes if infected. That was the message. So everybody needs to go and hide in the basement. That was a lie. They were telling the, the public that the five-year-old and an eight-year-old are the same risk. Yet, we were looking at the data behind the scenes to show that COVID was amenable to risk stratification and that, and that a more age-risk stratified approach, a focused protection where you focus on the, the vulnerable high-risk persons and you leave the rest of society alone. That was the prudent way to go. That's the way we've done it all the time. That was a lie by Fauci and Burks and Redfield and these people. They spooked Trump with that lie because he, he didn't understand the science. They lied also when they, when they pushed asymptomatic spread. We studied the science properly. Asymptomatic spread is rare, if at all, in this situation. They spooked and lied Trump when they spoke about recurrent infection. And all of these things was to make us wear masks and stay locked down. We've looked at the data and we can't find one bona fide case. One in this entire world, one case. When we looked at even what has been reported, the few reported, that's a real instance, bona fide reinfection with proper testing data. They, they lied to America when they said there was no early treatment. We knew quickly that this, this virus, this disease was amenable to early treatment, that you could prevent hospitalization death by 90%. They lied about the PCR test. They lied that, that natural immunity was inferior to vaccine immunity when, when the most suboptimal grade 11 biology student knows that, that vaccine immunity is just a snapshot mirror of natural immunity and cannot even compare. All of these things were lied and hobbled, hobbled America's response. And these pandemic task forces with Fauci and Burks damaged President Trump with this. And the reality is that, the true reality about it is that the lockdowns were just prolonged and hardened needlessly, needlessly. And they weren't effective. They, it's not just they weren't effective, they were harmful. So I, I knew in the beginning people were scared, but people needed the right leadership. They needed the right people to be in charge of those task forces basically to tie things up quickly and say, everybody, everybody calm down. Okay, we know the age, the age and the vulnerable in society, the target risk group. We're going to focus on them and the rest of society go on to business. Take sensible daily precautions, blah, 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 and, and live normal life. And that, that was our approach. That was our approach, but we got hammered behind the scenes because when Fauci and they knew. That was Alexander. It's yes. Timothy speaking. Sorry, I, I'm listening intently, but I have, have a few questions I'd like to, to put your way if possible. If we, if we rewind the clocks to the time uh, 
when this is all breaking out. I seem to remember there was a reference to Neil Ferguson in the UK in Imperial College. Um, And he is somebody who's a a serial idiot, in my opinion, um, in that that he's, you know, repeatedly made mistakes and steered governments, countries in the wrong direction many times before. So he was a specialist who was brought in. And I seem to remember even Fauci was referencing him and his, his bullshit data, uh, which also helped steer decisions that I guess were passed into, into Donald Trump at the time. I mean, yes. if we go back to that time, yes. I seem to remember it was after the, just after the completion of that huge, long saga of the Brexit, of the UK apparently leaving Europe. And Boris Johnson, who was newly invigorated with his, you know, his independent power and his, his, uh, you know, his, his ability to make independent decisions suddenly, uh, he, he said actually that he was going to recommend the UK would not follow um, a lockdown procedure, but keep things open and go for the herd immunity and natural immunity strategy. But literally within, I think, two weeks, uh, this guy, Neil Ferguson, appeared on the horizon and advised that, you know, millions of people could die very shortly unless we go for a complete lockdown. And it completely changed the the flavor of the decision. Now, the UK, Boris Johnson did a U-turn and they, they did lock down. And as you know, Sweden, which I think is an interesting uh, country to, to reference at the moment. Sweden did not. And I think if you look in hindsight after two years, where Sweden is in relation to other countries in terms of cases and actual deaths, which I think is, is more important figure than cases, as cases is a, a figment of many people's imagination, I think. But if you look at the actual deaths from or deaths with that's another whole conversation, uh, COVID-19. And Sweden fared far better than most other countries that did lockdown. Now, with your connection with the WHO, previous connection with WHO, and your, your, perhaps you cannot talk about all of these things because of confidentiality agreements and so on, but which, let's, let's rewind the clock, which way uh, would you, or did you advise at, at the outbreak of this pandemic, which strategy? Well, remember, I, um, how should I say it? Um, two things. One is you have to give Trump to answer that question. You have to, I want to just mention something here. You have to give Trump a lot of credit because remember in January, he was facing January, February, he was facing a WHO that was saying that, that he was facing a China that was saying there was no person-to-person transmission and that there was no problem and everything was under control. At the same time, he had WHO, WHO was coming out saying the same, backing up China. And then you had Fauci who went on, who went on two or three. Task force didn't form yet. This was in February. It was going to be formed. And um, Fauci, he went about two or three shows and stated that 
nothing to worry about. Americans shouldn't wear masks, and this, this is not going to be a problem for America. We keep an eye on it. Basically, that's what we said. So Trump was, Trump was taking tones from these three parties, WHO, China, and Fauci. And Fauci was the head of NIAID and a senior person in NIH and has always played a role in these matters. So, of course, Trump was very um, swayed by what he was saying. But you have to give Trump credit then because for Trump to turn on lockdown, institute some kind of lockdown against China, I think it was in January 31st, he cut against the grain of these three idiots, these three, to me, devils between WHO, China, and Fauci. Okay, let, let me ask you a question very quickly because I'm, I'm fascinated by all that you're saying, but I do want to steer your conversation a little bit. Um, the WHO, how is it that they have power over all of the governments? In my opinion, it looked like all of the governments initially stood up strong and said, we're going to deal with this in a certain way. And within a matter of days, they all were basically stopped, stopped told to step aside and follow WHO protocols, or in some cases, worse than WHO protocols. How do they have power over the governments? Well, I think, I think to say that they have power over the government, I think it has more to do with money and the transfer of money and who's involved. You know, you have people like Bill Gates and all of these people who are involved. He, he's in a great, great friend of the show, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> He's a great fan of your show? <laughs> no, yes, absolutely. He's a great fan, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But, 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 but look, I don't know how to explain it because, because I mean, I, I'm a Canadian citizen as much as I'm, I'm also a resident of the United States. And I could ask the question then, why would Canada or even the United States follow along with what WHO was advocating with this 3.4% mortality rate that spooked everyone following that idiot, as you said, that inept devil Ferguson with his 3.4% mm-hmm. when in fact we knew it was way less than that and um, below even seasonal influenza. Um, it's so much of corruption. And at the end of the day, sir, this has a lot to me. At the end of the day, human beings have a line of integrity. We all. And the question really in a very simple way is, is there a financial number that could shift your line of integrity? That's the key. And that's why we're in the situation we're in today, from the highest levels down to the lowest. If we look at doctors as an example, a doctor is supposed to be the pinnacle of society and the cream of the crop. But we have doctors in the United States and Canada, and I know many of them, who has shifted their line of integrity. Minds didn't shift. That's why I lost my position in academia and I lost two consultancies and most of what I do, I do for free. Right now, many of us, they have some of us like this, Dr. Hoff, Dr. Trozzi, um, a, lot of, a lot of good people who've lost because we are fighting. But the vast majority of clinicians and academic scientists have stood by and have joined in this insanity. It's because of money. It's because of research grants. And I can explain it to you this way. To try to answer your question, let me try and explain it this way. Okay. The United, United States gives about 50 to 60 billion a year. The budget, the budget, 50 to 60 billion goes 
about 62, goes to the NIH every year to run the NIH. And the NIH then has to run CDC, FDA, FOMGAT. In that 62 billion, there's a bunch of money for research. The NIH funds all of the universities in America and all separate funding agencies in America and even across the world, some of them. So when doctors of the CDC and scientists of the NIH came to me while when I was in Washington, even today when we talk, because they see what I'm doing and they see what I'm writing and when I appear on Fox or wherever I go anywhere now, they say, Paul, you know, we want to stand with you. We know what you've lost. We know what Dr. McCullough lost, blah, 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 blah. But we can't. We don't have, this is the exact word. I don't have your courage, Paul. I don't have your bravery. I can't afford to lose my grants. Remember, I have to apply for grants this year. And if I mm-hmm. raise any question, remember, all of the universities in America grant eventually works its way up to the NIH. If you make a mistake and you speak like how we speak or speak out, and you're an academic scientist or a doctor in a hospital in America, you're going to lose your teaching faculty position and your position. You're going to lose your job. So for people, they, can't, they, they made a decision. They will not risk the money, their career. You could turn around. Some people would say, well, this person have a wife, and this, this doctor have a wife, or this wife have a husband. They have to put money in the house, put food on the table. Well, yeah, that's some validity to that. But then what about other people like myself, probably like you, et cetera, who have lost things? And we decided, no, 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 no. I'm going to be part of the move to fight this and fix this. So are you saying it's, it's like a, a Ponzi scheme, basically? Yes. Yes. Okay. It is a Ponzi scheme. And I worked at WHO. WHO, when I was in the regional office in Europe for a year, and then I also worked in Geneva a little bit. And so I, I, I have maintained friends, people that I know. These are some of the most inept, unskilled, incompetent people. You don't get into these organizations or the highest levels of government in America or wherever based on your competence, based on your skill. You get there based on your buddies and your friendship and your, your socializing and your corruption with other people. I do corrupt things with you today and eventually one day you, you're going to have to repay me with some kind of position or something. This, this is not in a movie. This is real. This is how it works. I, I, I see it in, in many industries, I have to say. And, and I, I will just remind everyone that what goes around does come around. And that's the positive and the negative side of that as well. You know, a lot yeah. of hardworking people also gain positions out of merit. But I have to say that usually in yeah. the shadow of a good person, there's somebody else trying to uh, uh, eat into their profit. So... It, yes. it's, it's kind of a fact of life, I think. I think it's something we need to deal with and be aware I, of. I know, but, um, but, in, but in this case, sir, in this case, it's been far too many of them who have stood silent and went along with this insanity when they know. A doctor knows, a scientist knows, it's basic, that natural immunity is superior than vaccine immunity. Had the medical professions in the United States or in Canada and said, listen, us 50,000 doctors in Canada and Ontario, 500,000 doctors, you're you, you crazy, Mr. Government. You can't tell us to vaccinate the population because, because this is better than if for this low-risk condition, 
is better than rather than letting them be exposed naturally and living a normal life, that I have to push on them this vaccine that A, is untested, B, is showing me large harms now from what I'm seeing in the VAERS database and in user vigilance database. C, is not effective. The, the, the efficacy of the vaccine wanes after a couple of months. So I'm going to have to be boosting people. D, I don't know how the immune systems will react to multiple boostings every year. Doctors know that. When, when, when in the, um, the beginning of January 2020, when the CDC and the NIH came out with many doctors on the television, those so-called television doctors, medical experts, these corrupt crooks, I call them, and they were telling the population, hey, look, we saw this study here. This study showed that your, um, your um, antibodies are waning in your blood. So that means you're losing your immunity. So all of you who are saying, like the Dr. Alexander, the Dr. McCullough, the Dr. Reese, that natural immunity is better. No, 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 no. Look, 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 this study shows your antibodies are waning in your blood, those COVID-recovered people. So they're wrong. You're losing your natural immunity. These people who said that were such corrupt, crooked liars, they knew. CDC knew, Dr. Williams kept CDC, the head of CDC knew, Fauci knew. Fauci knew that your antibodies must wane in your blood. It is part of the process, but it doesn't disappear. He knew, they knew that your natural immunity is lifelong and bulletproof, that you have cells as part of your cellular immunity, your B cell memory cells that will generate long-lived bone marrow plasma cells that on re-exposure will generate antibodies again. He knew that, but he, that was a lie of omission. He didn't tell the public that. So that's the kind of things that we have dealt with. We've dealt with top-level public health people across the world, people in Britain, in Canada, public health leaders, silent when this garbage is being put out to the public. To so have the public thinking, well, you know, if I, get na if I got naturally exposed and I got COVID, I still need to go and get a vaccine. When we know that that's a lie, we know that natural immunity is lifelong, and we know that if you layer vaccine immunity on top of natural immunity, you are probably setting the person up for disaster. They could probably mm -hmm. die if we have cases of that. Dr. Paul, what is the big picture then? Because if the, if the vaccine is trash, if it is garbage, if if the advice is garbage and the world is locked down and you know there's, there's still a group of a large group of people who seem to be in some state of psychosis about this whole you know yes. mirage that it is going to save them uh what is the big picture what is this all about where's it going well well you see there is a couple of issues quickly you know and it just shocked me it shocked me as the ego of people in these task forces that they felt that they could just make these um, ex-cathedral kind of edicts and everybody has to believe and follow. The ego of them and the hubris and the duplicity that they will not admit that they were catastrophically wrong. They were all wrong because everything failed. And I put that in that office. There's no instance anybody could show anybody. So it's not talk anymore. Go to that one up head, you will see what we're talking about. Complete failure. Nothing works. Nothing. In fact, mass mandates caused lockdowns. We have maps that show that lockdowns drove the infections higher. So that's one thing. The second thing, besides the ego of these task force people that surprised me and the big pictures, the ease. This is the key. The ease at which 
American people and British people and Canadians just, just went along. And that's the problem. And, and I think the problem is, the problem is, if you lock a society down, and I think it was a real concerted effort, if you lock people down long and hard enough, as they did, remember they locked us down for like a year at one point straight, sometimes even longer in some countries. That was the longest two weeks, yes. Yeah. You lock somebody down. You lock up people down long enough. And every day during that lockdown, you can't come out in your driveway. You can't do this. You can't do it. Every day we're getting news. Infections going up. Deaths going up. We know the PCR test was overcycled. Once over 24 cycles, it's junk. Just picking up viral fragments and junk is not culturable, verif- um, uh, infectious pathogen. We know it doesn't even pick up COVID. We know it has jumped cycle over 24, and they had these things cycling at 40 and 45 at CDC and in UK and Canada. So we know 95, 98% of all those infections were false positive. None of them were infected. So that's a separate discussion for now. But it was a num- numbers game. It was a numbers game, and that spooked Trump. That's what people don't understand. I would be spooked. If it was me and Fauci and Bush came into the office and showed me a map, and so, well, Mr. President, today they had 70,000 infections. Look at this PCR test. Not explaining to him the cytokong issue because he wouldn't understand. Or they didn't do it. I think he would have, but they didn't. And then say tomorrow will be 80,000. And look, the next day, Mr. President, will be 98. If I look in at that map and I understand maps and graphs, I say, well, shit, this is going up every day. I had a lock to hold on. I had to take these people's advice because all these deaths going to happen in my hands which is what they did. They spooked the guy. And the guy didn't have the right people around him to come in and say, when he brought in Atlas, when I got there, it was too late. Task force was already on deck three months. The damage was already done. But what I'm trying to say is, when they locked us down and they drilled us with this garbage every day, elevating cases, elevated infections, not telling us that, listen, this is not a disease of childhood. This is not a disease of young people. This is only localized to elderly, high-risk people with underlying medical conditions, morbidly obese people, high-risk people. But 99% of the population, fine. They didn't say that. They had Johnny at five years old. Below his bed was his teddy bear hiding because Johnny felt he's at the same risk as a 95-year-old granny with seven underlying medical conditions. That's what they did. They did that day in and day out and drilled that into the head. If you do that long and hard enough, Mm -hmm. You could bend anybody's will. You could well, bend their not, will. Not, make not anybody's, plan. clearly. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I understand it has bent the will yes. of, of many, many yes. people that are susceptible to this. Paul, there are many things I would like to ask you. I do want to just take you to task on a couple of points. I'm not a political person. I, I don't think that this system works. I think it's broken. Um, I listened to the, the latest speech by speech, a conversation interview with Donald Trump this week with uh, Nigel Farage it's a couple of days ago. And they reviewed you know, some of the, the, the key events that happened during his presidency, the end of the presidency, this uh, whole business in, in Washington uh, in, in the beginning of January, earlier this year and so on. And they also reviewed a few things about COVID. Now, Trump was still adamant in this interview that the vaccines are a good thing. Now, I I understand he's a smart guy. Um, 
and I think that to say at this stage, two years later, from the beginning of uh, this whole COVID farce, that he is surrounded by people that don't know and advising him badly um, with, 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 with you know bad information, I think is a little naive at this stage. I think he must know. I think he's smart enough to do his research. I mean, if I'm smart enough to do my research and, and we on this program and, and the 80-something guests we've had for the last uh, you know, nearly two years, if we're smart enough to get the big picture, I'm sure Donald Trump is as well. So why on earth is he still pushing vaccines even two days ago in the latest interview? Do you have any thoughts? Ask me the question that I was trying to explain earlier, and I hope people didn't think that I was coming at him. All I was trying to say was what you just said, which is, there is no way that this smart guy does not know and is not seeing. Come on. When he was in the Oval Office, before they suspended his Twitter and all of that, if Justin Bieber bought peanut butter ice cream, Trump would tweet about it. Trump mm-hmm. knew everything in the social world, in the, in the media world, in the Hollywood world, everything he had a comment for. Very in tune with everything. So to say that he doesn't know that these vaccines are causing adverse events and deaths, whoever's saying it is lying. They, 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 they probably, they drank the Kool-Aid like how other people drink the Kool-Aid on the left. And I'm not a Trump. I want to be honest here. I'm not a Trump groupie. I like Trump and supported him because of the policies that he had. I thought he was a good human being and a good man. I really did. I, I, I wasn't interested in all of his past um, life and what people write. I, I'm not. Everybody have issues and everybody have a life and a history and stuff. And what you might think you don't think is tasteful, I might think is. I don't want to get into nobody's life. I was just talking about his policies and what he did. What he promised he did. And what he promised to go, I knew he could have done had he come again. Pandemic lockdowns and everything was a failure. They happened on his watch. He approved of them. So he has responsibility for the damage that, that we face. But set that aside. These vaccines, I don't know how to explain it. Is the greatest disaster ever. It makes no sense. And for him, for what you just said, for him to come out still and talk about, well, I bought this so quickly and people didn't think I could and all this and everybody have vaccines. And I read something today that shocked me. I mean, we haven't a very open... Listen, I want to help Donald Trump if I could. I, I really do. I want him to be reelected. I want you to listen to how I just said it. I want him to be present again. I don't mm-hmm. even know what happened in all this January 6th garbage. I'm not interested. Who did what? Who undercut it? Who? That's not my business. I think with a second shot, with a proper team, the things that he could do, they will fix America for a very long time. And the world, because the world benefits. A weak damage America damages the world, and I think he's the guy. But... If he doesn't help rectify this vaccine, he will go down. And I want to be honest. I think he will go down as one of the greatest failed ex-presidents ever. Mm -hmm. I am one who loves him. And I don't want to sound strange because I have a wife and children. (laughs) No, I'm I'm being blunt. 
I love yeah. the guy. But if he does not step into this now, particularly to prevent children, he will go down as the most devastating president. Because think about what we're facing here. We are facing tens of thousands of deaths of children. I want you to listen to my next sentence. Mm -hmm. When we look at the data and we understand the mechanics of the vaccine and we understand how children have been spared because of their natural protection and we know what goes on with this vaccine, we will not maybe. Tens of thousands of children will die in America. Not me. Will die when these vaccines are rolled out to them in full. Tens of thousands. Donald Trump doesn't want that on his epitaph. He needs to step forward. My statement here. You see, and what is bothering me, sir? I don't even know you, but you raised the point, and I'm being blunt. When I see many of the people who work around him, I see them. I go on Fox. I get invited once a week. They come along too. But they're, they're like lacking. They're not even discussing the seriousness of the matter. It's as though this vaccine is the, the next greatest thing besides ice cream. Mm -hmm. yet, we have a, like, yet we have a serious problem and they're pretending. When I go on Laura, one of these talker, one of these shows, I tell them straight, no vaccine for children. None. Zero. And I've heard that I, 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 I ruffle the feathers and, and people at Fox were angered that I said what I said, but I said it as I'm talking about the science. So I don't understand. I read recently yesterday, Trump was talking about the problem is that Biden didn't roll it out fast enough. We didn't sell the vaccines properly. I mean, if that is so, because some very, I'll tell you, some very high level scientists with me across the world, top level people, conservative scientists even, I wouldn't call their names here because you will know who I'm talking about. They are, we, we are talking by email. We are saying if this is true, well, it's either Trump is very misinformed or he's in some kind of circle around or he can't get the news, which is impossible because we try to game it out. Because he should, if that statement is true, that's a catastrophic statement because we're not talking about a failure of Biden to sell your vaccine. You should actually be happy, Mr. President, that, that the vaccine is not rolled out 100% in the population because right now I believe it's 59% vaccinated. Thank God. Thank God for that. And, and many of them is only one. We, have, we, have, we really have a serious problem. These vaccines are very, very dangerous. The vaccines appear to be working in some people, but there's a large number of people that it does not work for. And the vaccine is too unsafe and too ineffective. So it's unsafe and ineffective that I can't support a mass vaccination. Well, there, there was a, a comment that Anetta brought out earlier as well. Is the, do you think there's any truth that some of the vaccines have a certain digit in the serial number and some are placebo, some are... The real shots, some are sort of uh, halfway, or do, do you think there are different versions of the vaccine from each brand? Because this well, is an experiment. Yeah, well, listen, listen. Anessa, do you want to come in, by the way? I'm not, I'm not a, trying to monologue here. Oh, it's, a, it's all right. It's good. Go ahead. <laughs> it's an experimental vaccine, still, still investigation on stage. None of those things you just said, I can't rule out because of how these vaccine developers did this. 
they're not releasing a lot of information that we need to verify a lot of things. And a lot of things are emerging that raises a lot, a lot of questions. Tremendous questions. Well, there's, there's a lot of questions because, you know, some of the initial, uh, before they released it to the public, and I'm making big air quotes over here, you know, the, the first ones, the, the real test subjects, so those people, a lot of those people reacted, and anyone who reacted after the first vaccine, I shouldn't even use that word, because it's definitely not a vaccine, is it? But uh, the first shot, uh, and had a reaction, they were removed from the study. So the data is being manipulated, even as it is supposedly a, an experimental data collecting uh, exercise. To remove people from the study, let's say you have 1,000 people and 250 have problems from the first vaccine, those 250 are statistically removed from the entire study. Now they're no longer part of that study. Is that study accurate? Absolutely not. So we know that's going on. And, and then we have the problem with, yeah, I don't believe that they are all the same because I've, I've talked to plenty of people and said, oh, I had no reaction at all. Now I understand that, that there's different genetics and different levels of health and different ingredients in the vaccines and all of that stuff. And even the shedding thing, you know, I've talked about it uh, quite, uh, quite a bit. I, I'm one of those that unfortunately is, is a reactive to people. Uh, I'm very reactive. And it, I, was, I was talking to Cynthia earlier today and I said, you know, I'm starting to feel like a hypochondriac. And one day it's this and the next day it's that. And I was reading up and it's like, oh, actually that is not unusual. So what, what's going on here, I think, and you can correct me, but I think what's going on is we all have different body chemistry, different levels of toxicity, different levels of health, and blah, blah, blah. And then the, these people that are shedding are all different also. So we're getting all these combinations. But here's the thing that I, I believe is a big problem. I don't believe they're actually tracking it. And if they are, they're editing it. And it's not the actual real data. Uh, we aren't seeing that. And why, in God's green earth, if they wanted to actually talk about data, would they want to hide their data for 55 years? That's exactly yeah. what I was going to come to as well, yeah. Right. How, how <laughs> can you do evidence-based research when the evidence is not going to be released for 55 years? Well, but that's a very, very important question, statement you just made about the 55 years. So there are things that they don't want us to know today. Um, uh, as part of the, the, the approval process. And, and those statements you just made, for me, they have a lot of credibility, but, but, but here's our problem. Our problem is we have a lot of big fires on the table, and we need to choose the ones right now that we can try and tamp down. If we go after the 15 to 20 different things that are really glaring, the one in there that we could probably defeat, we can't because we spread ourselves too thin. And remember, they only have few like you running these media and trying to drive this discussion and few like us are scientists. So we, we need to sleep, we need to eat, we need to survive while we wage in this battle. And we wage in this battle while the media coming at us. So I can't go after graphene, razor blades, um, lipid nanoparticles, or everything all at once. So right now on our plate, trying to see how we could get to stop it. That's why I was one of the scientists who went to the FDA about the booster shots. I went, in for, we went to the FDA about the children's vaccine because we realized at least let's try and stop the children's vaccine. Right now I'm involved with a lot of groups across California 
and across the United States mom groups where I, I talk three to four times a day by Zoom. I just went came back from California two days ago. We went there, went to Dallas the day before and Florida the day before that, um, talking to different groups of people who want to know what to do, their children, do I keep them in school, what? And we're just sharing information to help people make informed decisions because the general discussion thing, all of these mothers is, the government not telling me anything. I am so misinformed and I'm so scared. I don't want my child in school. I don't want them being vaccinated against it. So, you know, which we try and we are trying, but all your questions are real. These are valid. And I'll say something too. When Pfizer submitted their data, maybe you guys know to the FDA, um, in their 40,000 sample size, when they, uh, uh, the two groups had about 20,000 each intervention control, there were about 3,500 patients, um, participants who were removed from the study. They, Pfizer told the FDA that these were people who were suspected of COVID but not confirmed. And because they were suspected, strongly suspected, but not confirmed, lab confirmed, they removed them from the analysis. That was a serious problem. That's a methodological flaw that the media has covered up. But we have looked at this, and this is a serious, serious problem because because of that removal, they reported a 95% relative reduction, which, which was the wrong statistic to report because that was to deceive the public. But if we continue the relative risk reduction, if you put back that 3,400 into the analysis and you put 1,700 in each group and you do a best case, worst case scenario analysis, you would find that that relative risk reduction went from 95% down to 19%, one nine. And remember the threshold that was set to get EAU for these vaccines was 50% efficacy. So, when we redid the analysis on our own, we got 19% efficacy. That means the vaccines would have failed. They would not have even been able to reach EAU. And Pfizer removed those participants. And by removing them, they were able to generate this 95% number. So there are so many wrong things. Not only that, they stopped the studies early and unblinded them. That means they gave, which you know, I know you know, they gave the placebo control group the vaccine, they offered it to them because they stopped early and they declared benefit. Well, from a procedural point of view, once you give the control group, the placebo group, the intervention, in this case vaccine, that means the study is over. There's no more study because you don't have two distinct groups anymore comparatively that you could analyze that are distinct and only differ by vaccine status. You have everybody now have vaccine, intervention and control. So all that they're doing now telling you, well, one day shortly, we will have the final analysis and safety data. That's a lie. I'm a, I'm a research methodologist. That's impossible. The studies are done. They are over. They were over when Fauci and they unblinded the study. So you see, everything is a big game and, and a spark. This whole thing is a spark. You will never know the safety of these vaccines because you will be told in the future because of unblinding, which we did, that's published, that's public knowledge, we could not do the comparative analysis. That's what you will be told. 
So this this is just a big a big cluster. I don't know what to say. Well, you know, we, one of the things that we have, like for example, we know we hear all these different percentiles. How many people have been vaccinated? Okay, I don't believe any of it. That's for starters. Secondly, when we look at those numbers, it's impossible for us to start to look at a percentage of how many people are negatively affected because we don't know what the initial number is anyway. We don't know how many people actually got vaccines. We can only look at this and go, you know, on an individual basis, did you or did you not? And on this, this you know, the moronic uh, derivative we have announced this week, which is just, I mean, oh, my God, you know, in, in a couple of days they had a test for, for it. It's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but the thing is, you know, again, we don't have any way. They're taking away all the data, all the way for even for a, a, a citizen uh, researcher like myself to find what percentage of people have had the vaccine. So, what percentage of people are having a negative consequence of this? We don't know any of that, and they're sure not going to be reporting it. But I can say that at the the first, uh, what was it, 500 pages or 1,200 pages or whatever it was of the Pfizer documents that were released, it was. If you look into that, it was absolutely devastating. I mean, it was horrific what was being reported. And there's supposed to be 360,000 pages, and we saw like the first 1,200 or something. So you can yeah. you can kind of uh, you know you can figure it out from there, right? <laughs> you can project forward. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yes, it's a it's a really really terrible situation. And again, you know, I just want us to understand where I am coming from. That that um, I am a very strong supporter of President Trump, but I am also saying that for his legacy, forget re-election at this point. Let's just talk legacy. He needs he needs to to fix this situation because because um, somebody just sent me before the show a post. Somebody wrote an article it was published about. Um, uh, I think the title was, is it time to remove the whole pass that we gave President Trump? This is a conservative thing, media. The whole pass, you know, we gave him a pass. And what they mean is, we're talking about the vaccines, meaning we have been quiet and not going at Trump. I don't want to go at Trump, and I'm not. That's why if you listen to what I'm saying, it, he was misled, and he was. But... At a certain point, there's a way you can make a call for something. The way you could come up and say, look, Fauci and they screwed me over. But with hindsight now, and I'm looking at what's happening, it's early enough for me to say, stop this. I'm very sorry um, that I approved this. And stop. Put this in Biden and they laugh, complete. And go after Fauci. We want him to. Then we could. That's the key. We need him to help us. If he just makes one firm come out and have a proper interview and say, and under no condition, children, then we could lay into everyone. But our problem is, I'll tell you bluntly, I have been hesitant. I have been playing around the edges with the vaccine and I could speak. I was in Operation Warp Speed meeting. I could discuss things about Operation Warp Speed that other people can't. Plus, I'm a scientist. Oh. This has been an amazing, amazing wealth of information you've shared with us. And we're coming close to the end of the show. And I want to make sure absolutely that we cover your number three link, which is 20 steps to end the madness. 
Right. And I would Good. love for you to please speak to that. What we well, can do, each of us, what we can do. Well, well, you know, that, that was a couple of months ago I wrote that. That was published. And I said, look, you know, based on everything that we know now, how, how could we get out of this? And, you know, it's basically, it's a lot of it is common sense, but we need leadership to make some decisions. You know, you have to stop this testing daily because the PCR test is junk and to recognize it's a failure. You know, you need to, to recognize that this concept of asymptomatic spread was not real. It, 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 even Fauci said it in March 2020, it is not a driver of pandemics. We need to recognize this issue of recurrent infection is not real. We need to toss away all these masks. We need to, we need to offer to the people early outpatient treatment, allow doctors to prescribe it. Doctors in America have been scared into submission that they, they touch early treatment. They're going to lose their license. There are a lot of them, doctors. I go with my brother and I call names. <laughs> there are a lot of them who are doing it below the table. They are saving their patients' lives. They're still doing it. And thank God for them. They're very brave. Okay? So we need to make the early treatment available, particularly in nursing homes. Nursing homes should have a, have a little cabinet locked up there for early, treat, early treatment drugs, hydroxy, ivermectin, all the corticosteroids. You know, the antiplatelet drugs, heparin, everything. Staff need to be trained. If, if, if an elderly person becomes infected, do not take them to the hospital. Your mortality risk is, rises to about 35%, 28-day mortality. Once you touch that door, keep them in the nursing home and start treatment instantly. Instantly. Have some oxygen support. Everything that you need and keep them there. They will survive. There's a 90% drop in risk of hospitalization and death. We've saved thousands of them. You, we must do that. We must, we must absolutely. Public service, the benefits of vitamin D supplementation. We learned that people who spend 15 hours on the golf course in Florida still have deficient vitamin D levels. It's not only about sunlight. We need supplementation. Mm -hmm. We need to take the vitamin D supplements. We need to tell people about their body weight control. It's very, very important. Healthier lifestyles, proper rest and stuff, proper nutrition. But get that weight under control because obesity emerges this superloaded risk factor behind age. We've seen that. In fact, a 20-year-old who is morbidly obese, 400 pounds, going to have a serious problem if they're infected with it. We found that out. I mean, why? It's because, um, what's the scientist? The scientist named the group was Margo. Margaret Al showed us that um, the ACE2 receptor, that the virus needs to gain access to the cellular metabolic machinery, is heavily expressed in the adipose fat cells in the surface. It's heavily expressed in the brain tissue, um, the testes in males, the ovaries in females, but fat cells, there's a principle, and the endometrium in, in, in women. So these are the things we need to be able to open schools fully and let children go to schools with no restrictions, no masks, no child, none in America, in any world should be masks. Masks are devastating. They're so, tough. Paul, I really love that you are so focused on the children, and I'm thinking about these parents that have gone to the, you know, to the school boards, and then they're speaking their mind, and I'm wondering if, in your documentation of 400 articles, yes. if if there isn't a more condensed version that could be put together that could be handed well, 
to the schools, or is it yes. the whole? Well, but well, well, I Go can ahead. tell you. If you look at the 400, they have the 403. They have their separated into five sections. So you have to oh, go along. Okay. The first one is lockdowns, but if you go down, then it should be school closures is the second subheading. So that showed all of the studies that show wherever a school was closed. Um, Fantastic. It, it I played, love it. It played, no, it played no role in, in, in fact, there was no difference. In fact, children had no greater infection in school. I mean, the research is so fascinating. The research shows that the median age of teachers in America, it's 41. And teachers don't even know this because the union has school with their head. The school is the safest place for a teacher. Mm -hmm. In fact, adults need to know that you want to be near children. We have research that shows us that we looked at households where they had adults, grandparents, adults with children, and just grandparents and adults, no children in those households. And we found that the households that had children in it had almost no instances of infection in the adults and grandparents. Wow. Children, children protect the elderly. And I'll tell you why. And, you, and, and, and you'll understand what I mean. And these kids are going to school in different countries. And I'll tell you why. Look, I have a very sophisticated, nuanced way of looking at things because of my training. So I'll say it like this way. I had a hypothesis and I wrote a paper last year that said by closing schools, primary schools for children, we killed many elderly. And when I wrote it, a lot of people got into it. Paul, are you crazy? What kind of theory is that? And I explained it in the paper. I said, look, children do not take COVID home. We know that, that coronavirus, this one. But children take all common cold coronaviruses home and dry and seasonal influenza home too. Children are always infected with a cold. That's why we adults at home get the cold, etc. So when children always have a cold, an average five colds a year, they're constantly taking it home to their parents who get sick. I got many colds from my kids when, when they were younger. I'm sure you do, you know what I'm talking about. The grandparents in the home get sick too, or the parents go and infect the grandparents when they visit. Those parents and grandparents then mount an immune response, get over the cold, but a cold is a coronavirus. So that when they get exposed to SARS-CoV-2, this COVID, it protected them. We found that prior exposure to common colds protects you from COVID virus. So by closing schools and keeping children home, you stop them from generating all those colds in the school and bringing it home, getting you infected, allowing your immune system to be tuned up. And then when you got exposed to COVID virus, you had some cross-protection, cross-reactivity. And the data was showing us this. That's so, brilliant. <laughs> so That's brilliant. Children, children do protect adults. So you thinking that keeping children away from you, actually, no, when children get cold, when children get COVID infection, it's, it's always from an adult. It goes top down, adult to child, never from child to adult. So the school is the safest place for a child. So... In that document, you could pull out just the school closure data. You could pull out the mask data because there's a separate section on the failures of masks and a section on the toxicity, the harms of masks, particularly for children. But because we've spoken here, and now we've established this relationship, etc., you guys can get back in touch with me in the future. And if you know groups, 
And if you know, if you know people who go into their school boards or go into the legal firm and they want the data, they want the studies oriented in a certain way. I can, I can help put that, set it up for you and give you back what you need, etc. That's not no problem because we're trying to help here. We're trying to inform. So many, many people, that op-ed that I shared to 32 studies that shows that the vaccine has failed, I put that op-ed together. That was actually a scientific paper, but it was published as an op-ed to get it out quickly. Um, it was because lawyers who were going into the courtroom wrote me and said, um, and the people I, I am partnered with and said, look, do you guys have studies? And we said, and I said, well, yeah, I can put this together and, and I pulled this study. So, so now lawyers are just taking my op-ed as written and they're just writing their background legal document, plopping my op-ed in as the, the middle part, as the science to support their legal argument with their conclusion. And that's how they file into the court. So the key here is we have the evidence. When the news talk about the evidence, that's bogus. They don't go by the evidence. They say they go by the evidence, but they deny the evidence. So what we've done is we've taken a new approach. We've actually put in the evidence on paper. So putting it into the face of the public and say, look, this is actually the evidence. Take it now and use it. Inform yourself and fight oh. this thing. Yeah. I'm sorry to inform you that we're right out of runway. We're right up against it. Please come back right. on and tell us more about this. But guys, we need to close. So despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power and you wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 81st edition is entitled Consequences of Corruption and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kim Dia and Aneta, offer special thanks to our guest, Dr. Paul Alexander. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you on the next edition next Friday. Good night. Mm-hmm.